Welcome to the Hometown Hero Outdoors podcast. Hometown Hero Outdoors is thankful to work with these partners. McCoy's Inn and Event Center, located in Isle, Minnesota, has been a supporter of Hometown Hero Outdoors since our inception. Whether you're looking for a day of fishing, four-wheeler riding, or snowmobiling, they are our go-to recommendation around the beautiful Mille Lacs Lake. They are booked full quick, so be sure to call 320-676-3535 to reserve your weekend getaway. Here are your hosts, Daniel Meyer and Chris Tatro. Tonight we've got a pretty awesome guest on. We've got David Gray from our New England chapter. David is pretty passionate about the outdoors. He's been, he grew up in, in New Hampshire and he's spent his life, you know, ice fishing and bear hunting. And then he's spent the last last few years making sure that he gets veterans and law enforcement officers into the outdoors. And I know since, since he came on with us as a state state director for HHO, he's done a phenomenal job leading the New England area, and he's done some pretty amazing things. Before getting out, before getting out of the Marines, David, David's got three kids. One is now a loadmaster in the Air Force stationed over in Ramstein, Germany. But I'll, I'll let David talk about, you know, his life and what, what he's gone through and then his his passion for the outdoors a little, a little bit more. Chris, have you got anything to add before we start the show off tonight? David came to us, uh, what, a year and a half ago? Yeah, about well, a year and a half ago. Yeah, and uh, he brought a lot to the table. We had very in-depth and many in-depth conversations with David before he came with the team. He uh, did a good job of vetting our organization to make sure it was a place he wanted to settle on. So that was very admirable of him and showed us that he did have a passion for what he was going to do. And uh, it stood out to us. And he's been a very uh, vital individual on the East Coast for us. So welcome. Thanks for being here tonight, David. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Uh, So, you know, give you a few minutes to talk about your, your life, your, what, what you did in the Marine Corps and then kind of what, what, what you do for team New England out there. So be before joining the Marine Corps, you know, was, was the outdoors always a, a passion of yours? I've been out in the outdoors with my family and my father ever since I can remember. Um, I had the fortunate opportunity to take my first deer when I was seven years old, second one when I was eight. Um, and that's what I grew up doing hunting and fishing. If it wasn't with my, my dad, my brother, um, it was with one of my relatives. Um, and that's all I've known is hunting and fishing. Awesome. And what, what is it that kind of drove you into, into wanting to join the Marine Corps? Funny story. Um, here I am in my senior year of high school. Um, not sure where I was going to go. Um, had an individual that was close to me that said, you know, you're, you're, you're five foot five, you know, you're a little tiny guy. You're not going to mount to anything. And it just so happened the next day, the Marine Corps recruiter came to school and I said, well, I'm going to prove him wrong. I had no idea what I was headed down, but you know, that conversation the night before made me realize that I wanted to do something better and bigger. Um, and why, why the Marine Corps, it just happened to be the recruiter that happened to come in and it wasn't like me. Uh, I was kind of a shy kid growing up, but it was something that I said, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be the best that I could be. And that was, that's where I went. Awesome. I had no idea you're five five and a half. 
Five, five, okay, got to get the half gotta, in gotta there. Got to those, those extra six inches. Yeah, you should have been a tanker then, huh? <laughs> should have been. <laughs> so hard, so hard, hard climbing up on those back of those five tons when you're that short. Yeah, so so you took it as a challenge, you know, and then, you know, as, as with most things, that the timing on that kind of worked out perfect with with them coming up. Um, and then, you know, me, me being a recruiter myself, was it was it a thing that the, the Marine Corps recruiter had to, like, convince you to do or were you, you know, you, you took that opportunity of seeing him there and kind of, kind of went with it. Nope. I, uh, me and my best friend actually went down to see him and he, my best friend really had no future plan for himself at that point in time either. Um, talked to the recruiter and he told me if I could get someone else to join, I get, I'd gain a rank, like convince my buddy to join. Um, he didn't know I was going to get a rank for him joining. So that actually had to be graduating boot camp as an E2 instead of an E1. Um, but but that was fine. That's water under the bridge. Um, but um, nope, it just it just hit at the right time. And, um, you know, it, not many people in my family had um, really, you know, done much for college or anything like that. Kind of grew up in a family that did a lot of uh, factory work and such. And this was just something different. Uh, my uncle had been in the Army. Um, didn't really talk about it too much, but uh, just hit it at the right time. And I said, hey, let's go for it and did it. And I excelled really quickly through the ranks. Um, loved loved the Marine Corps. Didn't love the politics of it, um, unfortunately. And uh, got to see the world, got to do some amazing things. And then um, decided to get out and go to college. Awesome. And and you did four years in the Marines. What What's some of the stuff that you got to see, you know, tra- traveling the world or any other unique experiences that, that you um, had? We had the benefit of uh, the first summer I was in the Marines. It was back a while. It was back in the summer of 94. Um, we were on presidential alert and it was very interesting. We actually got called up, broken up into six and four man teams. And as Marines, we got, we got put on Coast Guard cutters down in the Caribbean. Um, there was a military coup happening down in Haiti at the time. And, there was an influx of Haitians that were on rafts trying to make it to Florida and Coast Guard had a multitude of different cutters down there, but they had no security on the cutters. So they brought us down there and I spent almost, I'd been with a unit probably for about three, four months. And then I spent 93 days on Coast Guard cutters at that time, um, hmm. picking up Haitians. And then we picked up um, Cubans um, because when the, the Cubans realized that the Haitians, that all the cutters were down there. It's a short distance from Cuba to Florida. So they had an influx of Cubans then trying to go to Florida on rafts. So we picked up Cubans also at the same time. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, was, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Was there any uh, banter between both of the services, between the Navy and the Coast Guard while you guys were doing all that? Um, nope. Um, it, was, it was interesting because at the time period, the Coast Guard was the Department of Transportation. And they ate well, um, and 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 trust me, we did not miss a meal. Um, so, so did did you get did you guys get to eat well with them, or did we did got, you guys get to get the marine the good old marine food? Nope, we got to eat well with them, um, and it was nothing when we were guarding for them to come out in the middle of the night. You know, when they had their mid rats to bring us um, fresh baked cookies and glasses of cold milk. Um, it, it was it was it was a good it was a good uh, working relationship with them. Um, they, uh, they're more lax than what we were a lot more lax. Um, and we were very strict. We had our command Lieutenant aboard our ship. He was a, uh, uh, prior enlisted, which was kind of nice. Um, 
And uh, he actually uh, looked out for us very, very well. We're six, six breeds on that ship. And it, it was a good experience. You got to see how other military, um, I'm not sure if they're, they're military at that point in time, uh, being with Department of Transportation, but we got to see how the other, other branches actually worked and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty pretty unique experience getting to work with other branches other than the the one that you that you're in. And then, you know, so so you mentioned the you know the the politics is kind of kind of what what drove you to get out. Um, what what was that you did you do to do college or anything when you got out or go right into the workforce? What what was it that you kind of transitioned into? Um, I kind of did both. Um, ended up going into the workforce. I was interning at a couple of places because I had my um, GI Bill I was using. Um, and due to my disability ratings from the military, I was also using folk rehab at the time. And I used both of those programs um, at the same time to be able to get my bachelor's degree in computers. Um, got an associate's degree in, in software and then a bachelor's degree in computers. And then went on to work for a computer company as a software engineer for several years. That's pretty cool. Uh, like when it comes to the computer side of things, I know I'm deep diving a little bit here. I know we got some other people who are pretty in tune with computers. Like what kind of stuff did you do with that company or within your college education to get that degree? So uh, with that company, it was actually the, the best thing I could ever think about when you're, when you're a guy and we're in computers. I was what's called a quality assurance engineer. Um, and what you do is we, we basically, before the software got released to the public, we got uh, the software release and we were paid to break the system. We were clicking on everything you can. You basically just take the system and just hammer it with as much either bandwidth or anything you could think of to have it cause errors um, to make it broken before it went out. And then from that position, I moved on to what was called the patch tester. So after a software system goes out and they have fine bugs in it, the developers would fix the bugs and then I would turn around and test the bugs to make sure they were okay. And the problem was fixed before it actually ended up going back up to the public. It's kind of cool. A little different. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Is, is that a career that you, that you stuck with or did you, did you transition into, into something else? I would have loved to have stuck with it, but up here in the new England area, there was too many software companies hitting the ground at the same time in the software industry collapsed. Um, and at that point in time, unfortunately, I was a product of the collapse of the software industry um, among hundreds of other employees that I worked with. So we were all struggling to find work. We're all applying for the same places. And then after that, um, I landed up with the state and I've been with the state with a couple of different agencies with the state for the past uh, almost 19 years now. What kind of different jobs in the state have you um, engaged with or had held? I've worked for two different agencies with the state. The first one was employment security, um, basically unemployment. I worked my way up to being the person that made the claims uh, decisions on whether or not someone got unemployment or not. Um, not the nicest of positions sometimes. Oh, when you have you to deny someone. That, that guy. I was that guy. <laughs> um, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's plenty of arguments you got in with that, with that job. <laughs> yes. Um, and then when we had the most recent recession and stuff back in um, 08, um, unemployment was extended for many, many months and years from the federal government. And I was handed that program and I managed that program for the state for the federal unemployment extension, which included a lot of state extensions at that time. Um, very, very high 
amount of claims came through millions and millions and millions of dollars were paid out each and every week. And we had to ensure that the claims were paid properly and such. Um, very high stress job, a lot of emotions with that job. Um, what, what people don't realize is in the, in the first five minutes of a conversation with someone, one of the questions that comes up is what do you do for work? When you, when you become unemployed, you lose your identity. You don't have anything. You're unemployed. You can't attach yourself to anything. So when you when you're filing, working with these people that have filed for unemployment, some of them have you know gone from making great money to now they're making nothing um, or hardly anything at all. And it was very stressful when it came to family and everything else with them. Um, and after that federal extension and everything got done, I was I was completely burnt out. I did ten years with an agency and I was I was burnt out. So I moved on to the Department of Transportation. And you, and you met you mentioned that you know kind of lose your work and then lose your your identity along with that. You know how how are you going to provide you for your family? And you know one one of the things that I want to hit on a little bit is that that identity piece because we we see that all the time with you know people that we know getting out of the military, or getting out of law enforcement, and then you know also people that we interact with a with HHO having having those those struggles that they deal with um and then being able to deal with that and i think david i, I think you've done a pretty phenomenal job at you know interacting with with the people that we serve um on on the trips on the on social media and being able to connect with people and show that hey when you get out i i've been successful as possible to be successful even with with all the struggles of you know getting the disability you know, you, utilizing the resources like the GI Bill or Voc Rehab, or you know, organizations like HHO or the, the many others out there, is is definitely crucial. Definitely, um, New England's different. I, we don't have a lot. Of, we don't have any a huge amount of active duty bases up here. Um, our veteran population is very senior, and it, it's a struggle for people that get out to. Uh, try to navigate the system. I think a lot of people feel lost up here. They don't know where to go to. And again, like you said, when you get out, when you're in, you, you, you're, you're, you have a rank, you have a job, you have a mission every single day. You get up, put the same, same set of boots on the same set of camis and you go to work and you do that mission. You come out, you come up here, you, you, you don't know what to do. There's not a lot of guidance up here. Um, so one of the things I think that helps, at least for myself, when I'm when I'm trying to help people on trips and such, is being able to have that that compassion I had from when I was at unemployment. Uh, people lost everything. It's not the end of the world. You might not, maybe you qualify, or you don't qualify for unemployment, and it, the pay's not that much. It's not meant to you know to fill what your salary was. But there is other programs. There is hope down the road that that is available. And it's the same thing can be brought into the people that are getting out of the military service and getting out of law enforcement. You're used to that camaraderie and everything and it's poof gone. You know, it's one day you have it and the next day you're, you don't have it, but it's not the end of the world. There is other services out there. There's other ways to connect with people. And HHO is a great, great way to do that. Whether it's sitting on trips, whether it's um, just the fact you might be on the community page and you, you, you need someone in the area for whatever the problem is, um, we're, we're here for you. Yeah, absolutely. And Craig, Chris is going to yell, yell at me because I said, said that again. So we'll try to keep that, keep that out of the conversation as it, much as possible. It's his favorite segue. Yeah, absolutely. 
It's, it's so like I apologize own. to all the listeners. You're going to hear it now. <laughs> so without naming any names, you know, unless, unless the, this, you know, any particular person has, has given you permission to, um, is there any certain story that sticks out with you um, for how kind of how that, the, the impact that HHO has on the people for that, that transition or just going through, through patches in life that you've seen within trips that you've done within new, new England chapter. Let's pause that question real quick. All right. We'll come back to it. Yeah. Don't let that one slip out. I want to at least talk about David finding HHO and how he got to us and what that looked like. Oh yeah. And, and then, and then since his involvement. So let's, let's back up just to that. So, you know, you, you've had a successful career. You're working for the department of transportation. From what I understand, your wife used to work for Game and Fish for New Hampshire. Is that correct? Yep. My wife um, worked for the state for 15 years at four different agencies, worked her way up to be a human resource administrator for New Hampshire Fish and Game, um, made it to the highest point that she ever wanted in her career with the state and um, decided to move on. Um, now, she actually, funny thing is, she actually is the uh, human resource director for another nonprofit. Um, it's a... Uh, it's a local nursing and uh, at home nursing and uh, type nonprofit that she works for. Which is fantastic because, as we said, with the nonprofit, it takes an army, you know. So, David's yeah. wife gets to be a sounding board for us time to time, you know, with being her HR experience. So, that's pretty beneficial for us. We, we've de- definitely had to use her a few times to, mm-hmm. to get some input or, you know, templates on, on how we should do some things. So, which we, is we great. I mean, appreciate every, everything that she does for HHO along, along with you. Thank you. It's, it's for, I can only speak for my family. Um, I know that before my son uh, went off in the military and stuff like that, he was helping me um, do things um, with veterans, uh, setting up uh, hunts and different things like that. Um, My daughter helps with the hunt. She gets out there. She helps with the bear hunt. She's got bait sites. There's been mornings where the laws unique in New Hampshire, where, if you have a baiting permit, you're the only one that can actually place the bait. Um, and we've had multiple baiting permits at locations and not been able to have the staff members to go out there. It's not unheard of that my daughter's actually had to get up at four something in the morning, drive an hour and a half with me to the baiting location, dump the bait because I couldn't, I wasn't on that permit, come back and get ready to go to school. Um, as, as, as dedicated as I am to the organization, I can say my family is, is as dedicated as well. It's a family thing for us. They all see how, how rewarding it is. And, and the, the passion I have filters down through my family. Yeah, How'd you come across us then? Sorry, Dan, unless you got to ask that question. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. How'd you come across HHO? Um, I was with a, another organization for a couple of years. Um, let me back up here. So I, I went through back surgery. I went through um, a bunch of other different things due to medical from being um, medical issues from the military. And I actually had to get away from hunting and fishing for a while. My back was so bad. I mean, I lost feeling in my left leg. I, I couldn't get out in the woods. I couldn't sit. I couldn't do all these things. There was nothing. There was, there was nothing up here. And I don't know how I stumbled across this other organization. And I got looking around and I've always told myself if I won the lottery, I was going to buy hundreds of thousands of acres of land, put a cabin on as long as on a lake or pond or whatever. And just, you know, be able to get veterans out there and stuff. Um, Because of the fact of there, there there's nothing up here. 
Well, stumbled across the organization, built at that point in time, um, New Hampshire up um, with that organization. We did trips all around um, the New England area. Very, very successful. Um, and uh, things happened. I just didn't care for where things were going and um, wanted, wanted to find something that was bigger and better. Um, something that had just, it didn't quite fit the niche that I was looking for. And um, it was funny that someone in the organization uh, left the organization, but I had mentioned you guys several times. He was from a Southern state. And uh, I remember that conversation, went digging around, did my research, very, very in depth, because I didn't want to go through this again, and uh, reached out and made connection with you guys. And for for you going through the experience that you that you did with with the other organization, um, is there any is there key things that you were that you were trying to trying to look for whenever you you decided, hey, I'm gonna I, I want to be involved with HHO, but I want to vet them first. What what stuff did you look for within Home Down Here Outdoors to to ensure that you were getting involved with the in an organization that you could you know, see, see yourself doing, and then also, you know, shared kind of the same values that you have. A couple of things. One of them was transparency. I think as a nonprofit, the transparency really has to be there. Um, I always tell the people when I'm going to give a presentation in American Legion, VFW, wherever it might be, um, that I believe in the organization too, that we want to make sure that people understand where their donations are going to, whether it's a donation of a piece of equipment, whether it's funds, transparency is important. There's hundreds of thousands of nonprofits out there. You can donate money to them, but you scratch your head going, where did it go? Did it get wrapped up in administrative costs? Um, how do I know it went to the right, right item, right purpose? Um, and that was one of the things that was key in, 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 in looking at, hometown here outdoors was to make sure the transparency was there. Um, I can't sell something to someone if I don't know where the money or items are going myself. And with that, just take it a little further. When, when, when I'm talking to people that are looking to donate stuff, just like I was actually literally not an hour before this conversation, trying to secure a couple hundred acres of land for the bear hunt coming up this fall. Um, I told the, 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 the landowner, I said, you're going to meet the people. You're going to meet the staff. You're going to meet the people on the hunt. You're more than welcome to come by the, the camp that we have, eat dinner with them. And he was actually shocked. He goes, huh, I never thought that I'd want to meet them, but I think I really do. I said, you can hear their stories. We can set up another tree stand. You're the landowner. We can set up another tree stand right next to you. You can experience the hunt with them to help to see what that means to them. And he's like, wow, I've never heard of an organization doing that. Well, that's the way we are. We want to make sure that we, we connect everyone, not from just, you know, here's your check. Thank you. Or here's the item, you know, come sit with us, come sit with that, that group of people, ice fishing or wherever it might be and hear what your donation really means, how it changed their life. Um, and a lot of people take me up on that and I'm glad they do because it really, really opens their eyes. So again, transparency was one of them. The next thing is commitment to purpose. Um, some, some organizations lose their way. Um, they have a mission statement, but along the path, somehow they just kind of swing left or right and just kind of lose their way. And all of a sudden the mission statement changes and changes into something that it really wasn't to begin with. Uh, 
and after looking at you guys, the organization, and saw that you know this is a this is an organization that's really set in stone of what they want to do, and the amount of trips, events, and everything that was there. Getting on the community page and seeing how people were helping each other out was very important to me. It's something again that was missing up here. So between the actual transparency, making sure that with the mission statement, and the other thing too was having a board of directors. And I'm not just saying that because you know the president, vice president's on here, but having a board of directors that backs you. I everything that I had to do with a private organization, I had to build up myself. I had no support whatsoever, no funding, nothing whatsoever. And I think in a couple of years I was there, it really, it was a struggle. I didn't know what, I had no clue what I was doing, none whatsoever. Here we have people to lean on. We have people that have done things before. Um, of course you might have, you know, you might fail at something little or whatever it might be, but you're not going to get chastised for it, this organization. It's all a learning process. Um, Things that, you know, might happen in this great in the South might not happen great in New England or out West or whatnot, but that's okay. You know, every state's different and you guys support that. And you guys are very supportive of, of all the chapters that are out there. You know, I think, you know, one thing too, is you do give us feedback. You know, there's things that you come to us about, you know, that either there's a process that may work, like you just said, somewhere, but doesn't quite work for you. Or even letting us know that when you engage in an event or a trip locally, that based on your population, uh, number of veterans or LEOs, that it may differ from where you are. And something that we do here based on population size may not work there. And I think the feedback that you give to help adapt and overcome and adjust your mission and give you a little bit of autonomy in order to run your state and region the way it needs to be done to be successful, I think, I think that we try to support you in the best ability in that aspect. What What is your comments about that? How do you feel about that? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's funny. Um, we have we have multiple seasons up here, and you think you got the four seasons? No, you got summer, fall, winter, spring. Yeah, we have mud season. We have there's seasons that we have no hunting, no fishing. There's literally nothing happening because of the fact of you can't get anywhere. There's still ice on the lake, but legally you can't fish it and all these other things. What's nice about working with HHO is you understand that. You understand that there's there's gonna be times when you're gonna be super busy. There's gonna be time periods when you might not have anything going on. Um, the other thing too, is some States have tons and tons of, um, big retail type stores, you know, the Bass Pros, the Cabela's and all these other things. We have one, you know, how many times that one Bass Pro gets hammered for actual donations of stuff. We have one in New Hampshire. There's not, stop, huh? there's not any in Vermont and right. there's one in Maine. So yeah. it's very unique when it comes to fundraising and such up here. And unfortunately, there's been several nonprofits that have gone awry, veterans nonprofits that have gone awry and have put a sour taste in a lot of potential donors' um, mouths about what the purpose is. Um, so a lot of people, uh, I have to deal with that because a lot of people want to hold their funds tight to them or their items tight to them. But the method that we have, again, by bringing them out, I think that really opens her eyes. And again, as much as it is for the 
the veteran, we also want to build that bond with a community because that American Legion VFW or whatever, we might need to rely on them for other services if, if one of the one of our members needs help with something else. Yeah, absolutely. And the the ties that you guys have have in the community is is definitely like no no other chapter that we have. You you rely on the the mom and pop shops, and by showing that by inviting them out to come come see what we do is is definitely crucial. You know they they they're able to see firsthand the the items or money that they donate is is going to in fact what what you tell them it is. Um, and then also with that, you know you you brought up the trans- transparency piece and people being able to see what we do. There, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people don't get to see within the the hometown area outdoors community group on Facebook, where it's just open to the veterans and law enforcement officers. And, you know, if, if it was at all possible to, to be able to highlight some of that stuff a little bit more, we, we absolutely would, but you know, it's, there, there's countless lives that, that have been changed just, just by reaching out in that group with, you know, a, a two or three sentence post of saying, Hey, I'm struggling or, Hey, I've, I haven't been out, out in the outdoors in a while. Who's able to help. And it's majority of the time, it's not even our field staff that are out there, out there offering a hand. It's people within the group that are, that have never, never met that person before. And then they, they create light, lifelong friends. Oh, I totally agree. One of the things that we have coming up, I'm working on planning it right now, and hopefully it's going to happen in fall um, that you guys have brought to the organization, which blows me away because I, I don't know another military or veteran organization in this area is the assist training. Um, you know, we've, we've had the, I'm not sure if I want to say privilege. We've, we've had the experience of the time period with being with this organization. And keep in mind the staff that I had with the other organization followed me to this organization. So I've got years of history with them. Um, but we've had people that we've been sitting with that have said some things that kind of raised some red flags um, and and sitting with them multiple nights and tree stands and stuff like that, we, we re- recognized that they needed help and they were headed down the wrong direction. And we've even without having any proper training, we knew something needed to happen. We got in contact, got them, got them the help that they needed. And I, I can sit here and say that I know of two people that, myself and the staff have saved from being one of the 22. Um, that means a lot. You know, these people had families. I don't know if the, their families knew what was happening, but they, they, they said enough to us that we knew we needed to help them. And we did. Yep. And it, it takes quite a toll on not, not only family, but you as a, as an individual, you know, being, being there to help those people and, you know, because majority of the time you have to put yourself in their shoes and oftentimes it doesn't doesn't go with being rewarded for it or anything. You you just have the the joy of knowing that you changed someone's life. Um, and then kind of going back to the, the question that we asked earlier, you know, the the experiences that you've had with with the HHO trips or, or being a part of HHO. I, I've got a couple in mind that that you guys have done over there in, in New England that, that kind of stick out to me, but I, I want to hear, hear what, what your thoughts are on a, a trip or an engagement that you've had with those that we serve that 
it kind of sticks out as as being you know one of the the, the top top things that you've seen since you've you've been a part of the organization yeah absolutely uh one thing every every trip is every trip's got memories um every trip's um means yeah something. i got you i got you you did the yeah absolutely too i got you yeah i saw that <laughs> <laughs> um but the one right now um that probably the most memorable and the one that means not to say that the other ones didn't mean the most, but, um, was our last year's bear hunt. Um, to have an individual that, um, has an illness that is going to lead to death. Um, it's inevitable. That's going to happen. Um, to sit with him. And, and, and this is emotional for me because I sat with this individual several times in a tree stand bear hunting to have someone turn around and look at you and say, I have an expiration date on my life. Well, we all have an expiration date, but as a doctor actually given all of us the date when it could potentially happen and to know that we, we are giving this person an experience. Um, you can call it bucket list, but I, I don't, it was more than a bucket list. It was allowing him to come out to be with people that, to be with, like he, like he says in the in the video that we actually have of the bear hunt, to be with his people, be with his brothers, his his comrade in arms, um, to show up at at a place and you you don't know anyone driving through many many different states, many many different hours, a couple of days to get there, to sit with us, to go through that experience, to be a part of a memory for him, and to know that. At any given time, which I, I am dreading when it's going to happen, um, because he's he's become a near friend, a dear friend to me. I, I reach out to him constantly. He reaches out to my family. Um, that's something that he's that the gentleman's going to pass away at some point in time. To know that we actually to be able to put that memory for him and gave him that experience was nothing short but then amazing. Um, that that trip alone, we've scheduled that trip alone again this coming year. We schedule it around 9-11, so it goes through that time period. And and that's important too. Um that 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 occurs because that obviously is a huge event that occurred to get to cause a lot of things that happened in the world to change. But that probably right there, sitting with that gentleman and everyone had that experience, my staff that would that was on that bear hunt is probably the one that touches my heart the most. Um, his video and what he had to say, I think has really, I know it's helped other or other um, people we've given presentation presentations to, whether it's people that donate land or funds or whatever the case might be really tell what the organization's all about. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that you brought that one up. That was, that was definitely the, the, the trip that I was thinking of that, that st sticks out to me the most that, that you guys have done. Uh, I know Chris, Chris looked like he, you want to say something. He unmuted himself there. Yeah, no, um, you know, with rogue being up there, you know, I remember Dale speaking about the fact, and that'll be, I, I can't remember. We had an episode coming up here, Dale from rogue productions where Dale never really, uh, he goes to these and tries to find people to help talk about their experiences and for that member to get on camera and talk about his life and the expiration date. 
based on some medical downfalls is it's pretty touching and also hard to watch, but also I think gives a good message like you talked about to others showing that if you're on that couch contemplating what you're going to do and where you're going to move, it's okay to get off that couch and do something and engage in these different hunts or these opportunities that are provided by HHO. You know, and, and your guys' bear hunt is a phenomenal outlet for people. Um, it's different. It's not something everyone gets to do. Uh, there's a lot of different laws in different states that do different types of bear hunts across the U.S. And the opportunities that you guys provide up there, it's pretty phenomenal. And from what I understand, this next one that you have coming up is going to be even bigger and better than what it normally has. Yeah, well, we've actually been able to secure a, another uh, location that's going to provide us some opportunity to get more people out. Um, again, working with a landowner, not, not even an hour before this this conversation we're having now. But um, that video was presented to the this individual, and he said, absolutely, when do you want my cabin and how long do you want it for and how can I help? Do you need me to take time off for work? Do you need me to cook for you guys? What do you guys need? Um, but it's not just the hunt. One thing that we tried to do was a lot of people that end up coming here had never been to New England. So the hunt happens in the afternoon. What we also add on to it is a New England experience. We get in the car in the morning and we drive around the state. We show them as much of the state as we can. We're in an area where 45 minutes away, we're going to be in Maine. So, you know, someone said, hey, going to Maine's on my bucket list. Well, let's get in the car. We drove to Maine. Um, we did whatever we could at that point in time. Um, you know, somebody wanted to go trout fishing. So we, you know, did that. So we, we tried to take the hunt in the afternoon, but then in the morning, just give them the New England experience the best that we can. Um, we had a couple of guys went their way back. We, they went by one of the local um, supermarkets and figured out how they could actually get their lobsters steamed and all the other fresh seafood that we have here and bring it back. And one of them made a comment saying, yeah, that lobster didn't make it the, the whole way. I figured I had to figure out how to melt some butter and had to dip the lobster in it along the way. Just got um, it in their pocket. Yep. <laughs> that, yep. That, that, that reminds me of a story of that Chris had uh, doing the, the DNR thing. He, he oh, man. Stops, stops someone with a taco in their pocket. Yeah, dude dude had a warrant and uh, got him in cuffs and, you know, did our, our search. And dude had a half-eaten taco in his pocket. Like, <laughs> You can't make this stuff up, but you know, just oh yeah, you got your taco. Just put it back there and let the jailers know where it's at. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and but, what's what's interesting? You talk about you know the fact that being in law enforcement, um, one of the individuals that was staffing and he's staffing again this year is the retired major from New Hampshire Fishing Game that retired several years ago. So as we're actually out on the drive around the state, seeing the White Mountains and everything else. This guy's worked for the state for 20 plus years. Every mountain he's rescued someone off of. So in his vehicle, he's got a group of people. And he's a tour guide. That mountain's this name, this one, that one. I rescued this one. We had Blackhawk come in here and all this other stuff. Now, if you're in a truck with me, people are asking, what's that mountain? I'm like, I don't know. What's that one? I'm like, I don't have a clue. Right. We yeah. stop at the first thing and everyone's talking about how he was basically a tour guide i think everyone switched wanted to switch Man. vehicles and get the tour guide and that guy's um, jim jim juno yes yep. jim juno yep, yep. and, and big and shout fact, out yeah definitely jim's a very important part just like any of my other staff members but he he um great guy knows the stuff when it comes to the fish and game stuff um obviously being a retired major and what's nice is um 
the, being able to have the other other CEOs come out and check in the bears and having the conversation with them about the organization. I'm hoping that as these other uh, CEOs retire, they might have interest in, in joining us in the organization. Yeah, that, that 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 brings up a good topic that I, I don't think we've covered at all on this podcast. And I know every every state director is a little bit different, but for for you looking for for field staff, what what kind of things do you look for? You know, their their outdoor experience, where where they're at in the region, you know, and anything that that you that you try to identify that would make someone a good good volunteer within within your area. So um, we, we vet our field staff pretty heavy up here. Um, field staff have to go on trips, have to be a part of a couple a trip beforehand. Um, and they might not know it, but most, most of potential field staff end up going on a trip that Jim is on. Um, with Jim's experience of being law enforcement and stuff, he can read people very, very well. And we, we try to get them potentially on a second trip where multiple field staff can see how they interact with individuals. It's very important to have an individual that understands the commitment and, and the passion of what this means, how you can affect someone's life. Now, you might not have someone that is good at going to businesses and asking for donations. That's okay. You know, this person might be great at doing another thing, whether it's um, sitting at a table set up outside of someplace or whatnot or has tons of connections with land or can put on a bunch of different hunts or something like that. You, each staff member can have their place in the organization where other staff members might blossom. They might not, but everyone role, everyone has a particular role to fit, um, I guess the family mold to make us a good working family. But I'm looking for someone that, um, you know, is committed to the organization, understands the passion of the organization. They don't have to be an expert in any particular field, but has to love the passion of outdoors. And has to understand that even the simplest trip, if you're going out and we just had one, individual was going out with his Jeep off-roading, passenger seat was open, I'm going to bring another veteran out with me. That's what you want to do. Just the simplest thing can make the difference in someone's life. So I'm looking, that's what I look for is someone that can, you know, that has all those different characteristics. Um, Family is important too. And of, you know, when it comes to that, I want to make sure that they're not taking away from their family and if need be, you know, have their family involved in it somehow also, because if you're taken away from your family, then your family unit at home is going to be hurting and stuff like that. So you need to make sure that it's okay with your family to be able to go out and do that because it's, it's a commitment. It's a commitment to go through all this stuff. You're going to have to give up some time. Might be times at night, might be whatever it might be. Might be trips far away if you're staffing something, but it's, it's a family commitment and it's a commitment. And, but with that, it's a reward that you feel that I, I can't, you can't put your hands on, you can't put value to it. It's to be able to put a smile on people's faces, to know that you made a difference. It's just, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Very rewarding. A lot of depth to it. You know, it's, it's hard to really put a pin exactly what that feeling is. Um, you know, being able to be people who are passionate about the outdoors and have the assets or availability to help others and experience that. And I've said it in other podcasts is it's more rewarding for me at this point to bring out my family, my kids, my wife in the outdoors, as well as other people who have served our country and be able to watch them do a very first time in the outdoors doing something specific. 
and that you know and that brings me up to the additional trips that you have coming you have one that we're probably going to draw for here pretty quickly you know either tonight or tomorrow and that's for a moose hunt up in maine that we're going to have and we got lucky enough where david was able to land uh someone to do a moose hunt and then also uh bluefin tuna trip so um i'll give david the floor on that yeah that that blue bluefin tuna trip is going to be pretty amazing everyone definitely needs to hear about that is that is that absolutely amazing absolutely amazing yeah absolutely he's gonna bury me in my sleep (laughs) so a couple of things it's interesting a couple of things i like to do um i like to look at the organization and look at the new england area and try to say okay what do we have that's different you know what do we have that we can offer that other places aren't offering maybe maybe it's a certain type of sea duck hunt or whatever it might be one of the things that we do have um, for now, as long as the tick population doesn't end up wiping them out in the near future, is we have a moose hunt. Um, and I did some research and found up in Maine, there is a guide that works with, uh, with Maine's Fish and Game and Veterans Services up there. And they have a crop damage permit to hunt moose over USDA crops, um, nuisance tags, some people call them. And I worked for the past couple of years on being able to get into that, find out all the details and and such. And we were able to get a spot this year and hopefully spots in the future. And this is a crop damage hunt. Um, Basically, the crops crops are there. The moose are coming in and wiping them out before the harvest. So this this guide is tied in with the state to be able to bring, um, I don't remember the number, but X number of uh, state, main state, veterans out and out-of-state veterans to be able to come in and do this hunt. What's nice about this hunt is this guy provides absolutely everything that's there. They've been almost 100% successful over the years. The only two people that they haven't been successful was was an individual that wanted a great big bull moose, and unfortunately nothing came out. Again, being a crop damage hunt, you, you, you get what comes out at the during that time period. And another individual that, as if you're a hunter, you you call it buck fever. Um, he got moose fever. So every time a moose came out, he'd shake too much and couldn't shoot the moose. Um, went to the range, he'd be dead on. Um, he just got too excited when he was out there. The interesting thing with this guide is he actually has the ability to have, he's got track chairs. He's got all the ability that he that you need for anyone who's got a disability down to the point if you're blind, he was able to get the the right gun and everything else and everything set up to bring a veteran out that was um pretty much almost blind when it came to taking a moose um moose is one of top big game animals in new england or in united states that people go for not many states still have the access to be able to do that but we were i was able to get that for the organization um to be able to get that hunt and that was with the smoldering lake outfitters up in bridgewater maine right yes it was yep and they're and they're right on the border of is it new brunswick yeah they're right on the border of uh you can't get there from here um yeah he's right up right up on the canadian border like pretty wild i mean that's a pretty cool experience yep you know and um cool part you know it was a combat related what they required was a military combat related issue so that could be a various amount of different things. And um, actually this last Friday, so that had been two days ago, you know, we had the posting open for a little while 
uh, David has all of the entries into that. And they had to submit a biography about why they felt they were um, eligible to fulfill this trip and why they deserve it. So um, pretty interesting to read through these bios. You know, I spent the day with my wife looking at these, trying to, I mean, and there's a lot of touching stories. People have been through a lot of different things and this decision's not easy. I'm sure for David uh, and him and I will have to touch base on, you know, who's going to end up receiving it. But uh, it's just tough to tell one person, you know, Hey, you're going to win this trip. And the next person down who has been through some stuff too, that, Hey, you know, sorry for your luck, maybe next year. Um, but the cool part, is that we're sending rogue productions up to there and they're going to be able to experience, you know, this trip with the individual up at smoldering Lake with the outfitter and hopefully capture the entirety of the hunt. Um, and then also be able to have them experience, you know, the main area. So pretty cool deal. I, I think that's, that that's one of the hardest parts about the doing HHO is, you know, we, we have all these people that put in for trips and, majority of the time, you know, everyone that enters has, has got a pretty amazing story. And for trips like these, or even the trips where we, you know, have to, where we pick 20 people to go on, it seems like, you know, all, all the stories are, are pretty unique, you know, to themselves. And we've got to filter through and pick, pick the ones that are going to, going to be going on the trip when, when we wish that we could just bring everybody. Oh, I definitely agree with that. And hopefully with the, uh, being able to lay the groundwork, this will be something that we can carry on down the road for, for year to year, as long as this is available. Um, in, in moose hunting, I know for, I can speak for New England, the three states in New England um, that actually have the most Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont is done by lottery. And there's people that have been 20, 30 years and haven't got picked. And if you do get picked and you get a guide and the cost and everything else, this is not a cheap trip for people to, to do on their own. We're talking sometimes well over 10, 15 grand by the time you get everything. This is a, this is a big animal. I mean, you don't realize that. I mean, this is not, you're going to shove it in one freezer when you're done. You got to do a lot of planning and everything else and getting the animal out of the woods and the guides and everything else. What's nice is this is all going to be taken care of for this trip. Um, yeah. It's got to, it's got to be a great experience for whoever gets picked for it. Definitely. Yeah. T- talking about great experiences. Um, you guys, you guys just posted up a tuna trip that's happening at the end of, end of July. You want to talk, talk about that a little bit? Yep. This is a trip I've been working on for a couple of years now. Um, if, if people haven't seen the show, um, Nat Geo actually has a show called Wicked Tuna. I, I don't know what six, seven, eight seasons. I don't remember how many seasons they've been on. I think 12 or 13. Is it 12 or 13? Yeah. They've been on they've been on for many many years. Um they're multitude number of different boats in New England. Um whether they're from Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, I think there might have been someone down like Rhode Island and such. They basically the show covers showing these boats going out there and catching tuna. Well, catching tuna is not like going out to your local trout pond and catching a trout. Um the gear that these people have are thousands of thousands of dollars of gear just for the reels and such. And this is their livelihood to catch these fish and bring them back in. And, you know, you're catching a tuna fish, you're not reeling it in after 10 minutes. Some of these people are fighting these things, you know, up to, you know, four, five, six, 12 hours. 
and you're chasing it down sometimes. And the people, uh, there's been time periods that some of these uh, boats actually have to watch out that they're not going into other international waters because these, these are large fish. You're, you're catching some of these fish that are 111 inches, if not bigger, you know, weighing up near, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred pounds, close to a thousand pounds. So it's a, it's a definitely be a once in a lifetime experience. And I was able to get with a, um, another uh, veteran that I've had a relationship with down there working for a couple of years. And he does a lot of work with um, Dave Marciano and we were able to land a multi-boat trip. It looks like it's going to be eight boats, two veterans per boat um, to be, be able to go out there for a multi-day trip, whether it's they go out there and come back in or they're going to stay out there. Again, there's a lot of money that's invested in this. So sometimes these tuna boats will go out there and stay out there for two, three days until they catch that tuna and bring it back in. And by, by the time this, this podcast is aired, you know, the, the entry date will be, be passed more than likely, but you know, for, for these trips like this, it, it's important for people to know that they, that they should go, go visit our website which will be listed at the end of the podcast and, and join and they'll submit their name, their, their documents proving that they are veteran law enforcement. And that that's typically where you're going to find mo- most of these unique trips that are, that are hosted by us. Yeah. It's under the find an adventure area. So not only following us on social media, but also to jump on our website and our intent here shortly to begin a newsletter and that newsletter is going to showcase or forecast trips for individuals so they can plan ahead and accordingly. Some of these trips are obviously a last-minute situation. Uh, some of them are planned well in advance. So the ones that are well in advance, we'll try to throw out there. The Nat Geo one here with Picatuna is kind of a bit in the works, but also a last-minute situation where we're just trying to make sure that all the ducks are in a row and ensure that it's going to be fluid and that uh, we meet all the requirements that they request. So um, pretty cool opportunities that we have on the website and different opportunities that we can offer throughout the year. Yeah. And it's also, also important to note that Dave said, you know, he's been working with this connection for, for a year or two now. And what was, I think last week where the, the dates and everything finally got locked in for the end of July. So yep. the, the, the work that goes in, isn't always an immediate thing that, that people see, but you know, our field staff, our state directors, our board of directors are, are constantly working at at improving and finding different trips and you know avenues that that's going to improve the organization's mission. Oh, absolutely! Some of these trips. Um, <laughs> last year, I think you, I you just I like said completely it like you just absorb Daniel Meyer on you. Like you're yes. like, yeah, let's take it. <laughs> he stopped. You started, man. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I remember last year that we had actually just left, just <laughs> left the bear hunt and, uh, had reached out to the, the, the homeowner and made sure everything was okay. And I don't think it was five minutes afterwards. I was already calling Dan saying, can I put the deposit on next year's hunt? Um, you know, I know that, you know, Texas has got that great relationship they have with the Cisco D ranch. Once you get these relationships with these, uh, organizations the boat captains or whatnot you're, you're you're working them trying to keep that that good that good rapport with them and want to make sure that you can continue to grow this stuff and it's a small well, com- it's a small community in new england right. these boat captains they all know each other um 
So you, you, you have to go in there and, and make them realize what the organization truly is all about and how, how, they, how they are going to help affect the people on the boat. So you, you talk about make, making these connections and, you know, ha- having the resources there in order to be able to do this stuff, you know, kind of coming up on that, that hour. And one, one thing I always like to ask, especially our, our state directors, is is there is there anything within within your area that the new england chapter that if if you had to ask people for you know support in any way um what what kind of stuff are you guys looking for the most you know is that is it equipment land um the the monetary donations to to be able to go go purchase that that stuff yourselves it i mean it can be a wide variety of things um, so for us up here, um, we don't have a lot of guides like they do in other states. So for us in the New England chapter, we do a lot of the stuff ourselves. So monetary definitely helps out because that turns into gear purchases, whether it's different ice fishing shacks, heaters for the ice fishing shacks, whatever it might be. Monetary is always good. Again, we turn that into gear purchases. Um, land, land's definitely a, help, a helpful force, but the, the contacts are the big things being able to link us up with the contacts of other other boat captains and such like that um, def, definitely helps out for us. So it's a multitude of different things that people can help with. But one thing I, I definitely want to say that we run into is a struggle up here. When we're talking to veterans and, and, and law enforcement officers, one of the biggest things that we hear is, well, I don't need that. I already go hunting and fishing. You know, I, I don't need to go on any of those trips. And the funny thing is, once I convince them to go on their trip, then they're like, I really did need to go on it. I didn't understand what it was all about. I thought it was just, you know, going fishing. So one of the things I, I, you know, I want to tell everyone is you might have the availability to go hunting, fishing, and do all these things. Go on a trip. Experience what Hometown Hero Outdoors has to offer. It's not the catching of a fish. It's not the taking of an animal. It's that group of people that you're with, that experience that you're going to have on that trip that is going to blow you away. That, if anything else, is the most important part of these trips. And again, if you're on the fence saying, well, I, I really don't want to or I don't need to, no, just try it. What do you got to lose? A day of time to go on a trip? I guarantee that you're going to sit back afterwards and go, wow, that's not what I thought it was going to be. That was an amazing trip, and I want to go on another one. Yeah, so take take that leap and and connect with you know other like like minded individuals in the outdoors. So, Countless sorry. individuals that come back and say, you know, fishing sucked, hunting sucked, but you know what? The connections that we made and the you know, people we talked to, uh, and that continue those relationships after the trip, they can't replace that. Um, and it's David and I were on another podcast not long ago. And David told a story about um, how he continues to speak with these individuals on his last bear trip, you know, almost a year after the fact. But, and they had, they had a successful bear hunt, but they're still chatting away, you know, and it's those relationships and the connections you make that help you relate to others and help you get through those tough times. So it's very important. Oh, absolutely. That, you mean, it's been a year and these individuals still reach out. And yes, I said, absolutely. Again, crushing it. Uh, As the kids would say, bruh. Um, I mean, they, you know, we, every trip that I, that we have here, we create a group chat 
with a staff member and the people on a trip and sometimes it'll actually bring in the actual captain or whatnot um they we were wishing each other you know happy birthday merry christmas hey i just got a new job hey look at what my daughter just caught from the fish or the grades it's a family that bear hunting group actually just wants to actually they're like well we of course love to come up and hunt again but we should have some sort of reunion so we can all get together again and just hang out I love that. here again that's amazing. That's that's what you get. And and one of the things is is if that person in Wisconsin or the gentleman that's down in, you know, North Carolina has an issue or problem, and they feel comfortable enough to say something to us, you know, we're gonna see if there's anyone down there that can help the individual. We might be thousands of miles away, multiple states away, but realistically, we're not. We're all right there. We're all right there to help each other. It might just take a little bit of time to find out the means to do it. It's a family. I can say that you 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 come on the trip, you're gaining a brother and a sister. You're, you're it's a family that we are, and that's the most important thing. That's why I am here because of the family connection that we have. And I I think that's the the biggest thing to remind people. You know that are that are kind of hesitant to come out with us, or or even you know have, haven't ever heard of HHL. The the outdoors is really just the. The, the vehicle that we use to, to be able to connect people and create a family, you know, a, a support system there that that anytime someone can reach out and know that they've got a brother and sister that's that's gone through sim- similar experiences, you know, to chewed on the same dirt, just may, maybe at different times and be able to have that have that support and connection there that is going to help them through what, whatever they need, whether it be, you know, the, the PTSD, su- suicidal thoughts, or maybe they're they're having a fight with their their spouse you know, they, they have questions about kids. They're, they're going to a new area, things like that. Yep. No, definitely is. And I said, definitely not. Absolutely. You guys are laughing. Got, got it. <laughs> I, nope, I, I, um, I was like, la- I was laughing because Milo was starting to whine. Like as I was wrapping that, that last <laughs> sentence up. All right. Well, we want to thank David for all his work that he does up in New England. He is a fantastic asset to us. We are happy he's on board. Uh, He has a fantastic team behind him. If you guys are looking to uh, support HHO or the New England area, please reach out to David Gray. And you can reach him at New England at hometownherooutdoors.org. Or you can reach out to our Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, or even TikTok if needed. Uh, David's a very good asset with his team behind him. And, uh, you know, we can't do it without our field staff and our volunteers that stand to our left and to our right and help hold this up. And then we hold them up too. So if you have any questions, please reach out or you can email us at info at hometownherooutdoors.org. We, we appreciate you coming on, David. And then all the things that you do for not, not only New England, but also helping out the organization as a whole with the, the development as we, as we continue to grow. Absolutely. And thank you guys for the support that you guys provide all of us. Awesome. Until next week, everyone, we'll see you guys out in the water and in the woods. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Hometown Hero Outdoors podcast. For more information about Hometown Hero Outdoors, visit our webpage at www.hometownherooutdoors.org.